Hey, I'm Nick Von Brack, and this is The Record Podcast. That's that was pretty good, right? It's like the uh, American Idol intro. Uh, gotta mix it up, gotta change it up a little bit here, guys. You know, it can't be the same thing every week. Gotta keep you on your toes. All right, so back here with a new episode. Back here talking about the Super Bowl and why I didn't bet on the Broncos. You know, I and the whole time we were watching the game, I was saying, you know, I, I kind of wish I would have put like a little five, ten dollar bet on the Broncos just just in case they do win because the odds are so against them. And sure enough, they win. And sure enough, here I am talking about it. But no, I'm actually glad I wanted the Broncos to win. So that was awesome. Had a good time watching the game. And you know what? For any of you naysayers or haters, you know, I'm sure the Panthers are going back sometime soon. Cam Newton's young, so you know, just let Peyton have it, would you? It's not like he, you know, he's a, he's a poor guy in the street. It's not like he has Papa John's or Budweiser to give him money. You know, he's got to make ends meet here too. Let him let him have a moment, would you? All right, last week's episode here. Uh, so what do we have? We had Tyler Wildey of Epic Deli, and we got to talk about this, the Von Brack sandwich, which I. And regretting I didn't go back to get. I, My plan was to go and buy like five or six of them and just stash them away in my freezer for when the apocalypse inevitably comes. And then I could just uh, slowly eat them for the next six years of my life. Um, but no, he uh, again, Tyler did a great job on that sandwich. I was very impressed. And I'm hoping maybe if I swing through again, I can just convince him to uh, to whip it up with whatever's laying around. Um, but I hope, I hope you all enjoyed it too. The ones of you who took pictures and sent them to me, that was awesome. Thank you. And uh, as far as uh, Epic Deli and the contest winner for the episode last week, that is at Corey J. Block, also known as Corey Block. Uh, He is the winner of a gift certificate to Epic Deli and also a little bit of merch that I'll throw his way. Congrats to you, complete stranger. Speaking of contests, the next contest has to do with the next episode. So for the next contest, we have teamed up with Youth Conspiracy Records to give away a prize pack. And you can win this prize pack by posting or tweeting or promoting Youth Conspiracy and the Record Podcast. Just make sure to tag the Record Podcast and Youth Conspiracy Records, and and the winner for that contest will be announced on next week's episode. But the owner of Youth Conspiracy Records is the guest on this week's episode. His name is Scott Heisel. You may know him from being the former writer of Alternative Press Magazine. Currently, he is the editor-in-chief of Substream Magazine. He's also the owner of Youth Conspiracy Records and a podcaster on Best Midwestern. Scott and I have crossed paths a couple times throughout my musical career, and we get into that on the podcast. But mainly we talk about our conjoined love of Weezer, band cruises, becoming a music writer, working from home, warp Tour, how to get written on or not written on as a band, doing what you love for a living, and very, very much more. This is a long episode, but it's a great one. He has a lot of great insights for being in a band, pursuing music as a career, all kinds of good stuff. And I am definitely going to get him back on the record podcast as soon as possible. Scott has also been kind enough to run a promotion. So if you go to Youth Conspiracy Records, they've got all kinds of great stuff from the Felix Culpa, Hell and Earth Band, a bunch of other good bands. He also does distro for bands that aren't on his label, so you can pick up some other good stuff. He's going to be running a promotion. If you enter the code the record, you'll get 20% off in the store. So, I mean, there's really no reason to not support this human being. He's doing a thousand things in music. He's doing great stuff. You can buy great music from him. So go out there, go check out Youth Conspiracy Records, his podcast, Best Midwestern, his magazine, Substream. I mean, there's there's just a ton of stuff that you can get that is Scott Heisel related, and I suggest you get all of it. Oh, 
and just as a last minute addition, we're over 2,000 plays now. Thank you everyone for listening, and now on with the show. So for Christmas, I was like, okay, mom, like you want to listen to me? Here's what I want. It's just this podcast. Yep. I want this microphone, this headphones, this whatever. <laughs> and I got none of it. Nobody <laughs> bought nobody bought it for me. So I'm like, well, I tried. You know, the one time of the year people are supposed to buy you gifts and nobody bought it for me. So I, a, I got socks, <laughs> clothing. So you know. I had a very similar Christmas. What I did get was this, the the stand. The like That's nice. The, and that was because I sent my sister a link on Amazon. And then my wife was asking for like the uh, her parents like oh they don't have any ideas I'm like I I don't even know if I want to send them down that road of like this production stuff even if I send Amazon links so I asked for Amazon gift cards I think I got one so I ended up just out of pocket <laughs> buying this mic and stuff but yeah that's actually what I did I sent everything I did was an Amazon link and this is how fucking sneaky I am <laughs> is I have like I have an affiliate account with Amazon oh. so I made every single link in my email an affiliate link so if anyone bought me anything I would get extra money on top of that it. is awesome see that's that business mindedness that you <laughs> yeah. have <laughs> that, that's, that's punk rock that's how, that's how you make ends meet so no, two dollars I get back so I feel like punk rock would be just the one way street of like fuck it buy me this stuff but you're like no if I do this and send the link on top of that there's like yeah. layers to it oh yeah absolutely. smart it's smart punk rock well, I, I just want to start by apologizing. I'm so sorry. I lost total no. track of time. No worries, um, man. You got a kid. I totally get that. She's what, five months old now? Four yeah, months old? Uh, four months old. So I'll, I'll show you my setup in here. She's sw- oh, <laughs> swinging right behind me. Because we're yeah. the... Uh, you see? You just Hi. have like a sleep daze. Um, <laughs> the, uh, that, that, that is the one thing I underestimated with having a kid is like just being able to like, all right, are you going to do this thing? I'll stay with her. But then this takes too long and that rolls into this. And now I've been doing... Yeah. The podcasts I usually do are on like Sundays and sometimes on Fridays, but um, Sundays, like on a Monday, you're like, oh, Sunday will be perfect. But then Sunday yeah. comes and you're like, I got like a thousand things to do. There's just no time. I get so, you. Totally. Life, uh, life makes it, life makes it much more harder than you, uh, than you, than you realize, at least in my case. Oh, that's totally the true, man. Absolutely true. It's like, that's what it is like working from home now. It's just like, I work from home and you're like, oh, working from home is great. You just do whatever you want, blah, blah. I'm like, man, it's so much harder to get stuff done at home. Yeah. Like, you know, like your life stuff because you're trying to get your work done. And then it's like, you know, you get pulled into like 7 or 8 p.m. You're still doing work stuff. And it's like, oh, well, the dishes have to get done. Got to do exactly. laundry. Like, it's very hard to, 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 to detach yourself. So I understand the feeling. So, so like, you know. So what, you work from home then? I didn't, that's, <laughs> yeah. that we can, we can just start there. So I, I just assumed when you, when you jump to Substream, there's like an office, you go to it. But you're uh, not, yeah, not currently. Uh, okay. um, Substream, uh, the history of that company is it started in 2006 out of Columbus, okay. and they, so they've been going this is the tenth, tenth year actually. And uh, they used to have an office down in Columbus, and then what happened was um, it was a you know just a few people, like four or five people, and yeah. then people kind of started scattering a little bit. And a lot of the people they were hiring to do work just on an outside perspective were from other areas anyway. And so eventually they said, you know, we're not going to really have the office anymore. And so right now, um, the owner of the company is still in Columbus. And uh, I'm up here. Uh, our ad team is up here. Our actual our head designers up here in Cleveland. Oh, wow. So actually, uh, in a few months' time, by May or June, we're actually going to have an office in Cleveland, which will be amazing. Awesome! I, I get out of the house, and my wife will be stoked because yeah. she works from home too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So it's, how it's how is that here. dynamic? To the couple both working out of the house. I mean, it's, well, it's, in my mind, I'm like, well, there are people who work together in offices, but people always say, oh, you shouldn't work with your spouse. But 
in the house, that's like another layer. It's like you you can see. Yeah, I see your dishes over there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like oh, you didn't need to take the trash out, huh? That's like that kind of stuff. A lot of needling. I'm working, um, honey. Yeah, well, it's it's you know it's one of those things where like I I feel kind of bad because I kind of put her out because she was already working from home. The uh, company she was working for um, was based in Chicago, but she was working in the Cleveland branch, and then they closed the Cleveland branch but moved a bunch of employees to work from home. So she was already working okay. from home for like eight months before I lost my job, yeah. and then. So I had two months of being unemployed sitting at home, which she was not stoked about. And then I got the substitute <laughs> job, which is great, but that was also working from home. So yeah. she kind of had her uh, – like kind of the way she did things, you know, sure. like whether it's taking care of the dog or doing dinner, blah, 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 like without me being around. And then yeah. like now that I'm here every minute, it really I think puts more of a stress on her than it does yeah. me. I'm like, whatever. I'm just sitting on the couch watching the WWE Network and doing my work. No big yeah. deal. And she's like, can you be quiet? I have to do work. <laughs> so, she has like, a real job that requires yeah, like, yeah. skill sets. And I'm just like the doofus who writes about Weezer. It's not a big deal. You know, yeah, a, but it's you know pretty- what? But you're, but you're the prime. You're, the, you're number one doofus who writes about Weezer. I think of all the people That's, who write yeah. about, De- about Weezer, you got to be number one. I, you know, I would hope I'm in the top five. If, I've, <laughs> if I'm in the conversation, I'll be happy. If, you know, for all the doofuses who write about that band, I, if I could be in the top five, that made me feel good. Well, so. and especially because, you know, and, and I, I hang with you as – and like in in the history of you writing and me following your writing, I've always like had a connection with you for a couple of reasons. But one being Weezer, because I've always been like, you know what? I'm this is a band I'm sticking with like the whole way through. I have on the back of my arm. <laughs> I, guess, I guess my better judgment probably. Yeah, uh, on the back of my arm, I have a little chunk of Pinkerton's artwork. Like I've I've I have even, that literally right above me. There you go. There, that's that is incredible. That's oh, a really yeah. nice piece of artwork. Yeah. Um, but every album I've still like tried to like try my best to find something that I like in each album. And I feel like when I, when I read your links or read your reviews on it, I'm like, you know what? There's still, there's still a few of us out there. Like, I'm not saying I love everything they do, but they can yeah. still, when they, when the chips are down, they can still write good songs. It's true. I, I'm not even going to bullshit. The, the new single that is put out King of the world has yeah. been on repeat in my brain for the yeah. past seven hours. Like I was at the gym this morning. My wife and I were doing a yoga class and you're supposed to like Zen out. Like, yeah. Mind and all I'm hearing in my head is the fucking Weezer song. <laughs> It's I'm, it's ridiculous. Like I can't get that song out of my head. It just goes to show, man. Like there are certain people in the world who can write a hook, yep. and Rivers Cuomo is one hundred percent one of those yep. people. Like he will always, always be able. Whether you like his songs or not, sure. you can't deny that they're at least memorable. Right. That's a, you know, a credit to him. that thank okay. god for girls but i haven't heard the yeah. new one well there's um, one in between there too they dropped another song called do you want to get high like maybe oh. a month ago okay, and it's like that. it sounds like a pinkerton song it sounds like pink triangle that's awesome Super 
awesome. And then the new song, it, this is how I've de- decided to describe this song. The new song, King of the World, sounds like if Sugar Ray covered Weezer, covering Motion City soundtrack, covering Weezer. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if you followed that. That is that is like a BLT. That is a that is a decker <laughs> double decker sandwich of. It's uh, like that's that's the best way I can describe it because it's it's just like this weird like breezy super catchy pop song and yeah. I, I uh, fucking great. I I mean I'm you know I'm I'm the dude who went on both Weezer cruises. I I am obsessed. Yeah, I want to talk to you about that. So every I've I've yet to go on a band cruise and I see you know when they put the posters up for them I'm like man that seems like it'd be fun. I wonder I wonder like how it I mean. Once, because a lot of the lists, there's a ton of bands or there's a ton of comedians and things. So it's like, if you go for Weezer, that's great because that's your thing. But if, like, what do you do in the meantime? Is there so many other activities you don't even think about it? Like, yeah, what? I mean, for the ones for the ones we did, like, I'd never done a traditional, like, cruise cruise, like right. a Caribbean cruise. Yeah, me so I don't have any, I've done, like, a river cruise before with my family in Russia, but I've never done, like, a like a Caribbean thing. <laughs> oh, so just in Russia? Were, <laughs> well, my, my brother lived in Russia for, like, oh, 10 years. Okay. So we went to visit him, and we did, like, this cruise from uh, Moscow to St. Petersburg, like, up the river, and it stopped at a different port of call every day. That's it was fucking sweet. amazing, and that could be a podcast in and of itself. <laughs> yeah. Russia's the best, Russia is the best country in the world. Wow. Um, in terms of, like, awesome shit you can do, yeah. Russia, Russia is the best place in the world. But okay. beside the point, um, the Weezer Cruise, though, like, they were both a blast because, yeah, they have, like, 15 bands, and... Basically, every band over the course of four days plays three times, okay. and so and and there's like maybe seven or eight different stages. There's like a casino stage and an outdoor stage and a lounge stage and blah blah blah. And so yeah. like depending on and they give you like a schedule too. So depending on where you are, you're like, oh, I'm gonna go watch Dinosaur Junior right now, or I'm gonna go sit in the hot tub and watch Waves. Like like that's just <laughs> things you can do. Yeah. And so uh, and then you don't have to watch bands either. You can just go gamble or go to the buffet or go to the hot tubs or the water slide or fucking get your spa, get your mani mani pedi, whatever it is. You don't have to watch any bands if you don't want to. Um, Yeah, it's it's a blast though. Like you don't really need to like enjoy more than the headlining band to go on those. The funny thing is there's one coming up like next month, I think. It's the Flogging Molly cruise. Wow. And I don't really care about Flogging Molly, but their lineup is like Frank Turner, Rancid, The Slackers, uh, Fishbone, Street Dogs, like all these (laughs) awesome punk bands and ska bands. I'm like, fuck, I would just go on that to like hang with Frank Turner for three days on the cruise, you know? So yeah, they're they're a pretty interesting experience. They do do a nice job putting them together. So now now that a few of them have worked for like for Weezer, for Paramore, and some of these bands, do you think that? I mean, I, I guess you have to be a certain level band to have a cruise, but like, do you think those are just going to start becoming a more normal thing, or like more other bands yeah. are going to jump into that arena? I think. Well, I mean, now that like Paramore's done two of them and they both sold out well in advance, I feel wow. like you're going to have a lot more bands. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if like Fall Out Boy took that took sure. that road, or like yeah. Panic at the Disco. Like, those are bands that have this crazy diehard fan base, or like you know if. Gerard Way were to do like the Gerard Way cruise and bring yeah. on like comic book artists and shit, he yeah. would still sell it out because those people are obsessed with him, you know? Yeah. Um, and I know like Kid Rock does one and 311 does one and all that <laughs> shit. And like there's there's a huge market for it. And yeah. I mean, for me, like I think the the two key ones that have not been done yet, which I would love to see, is like a no effects cruise, aka like just a punk rock yep. cruise. Where it's like, you know, no effects and like all the fat records bands, all the old uh, epitaph bands, like and all those old dudes on a ship together. Yep. Because they can all afford it now. And then the other one would be like a Jimmy Eat World Cruise. And I yeah. feel like a Jimmy Eat World Cruise with like get like one or two cool bands to reunite for it and then get like all the emo revival bands and then have sure. like, you know, um, Braid or whatever. Like it would do, I think that would sell out instantaneously because we'd all, because we're all in our 30s now and we all have money. Right. But we still love all those bands from like the 90s that actually meant something yeah so that to me so jim adkins if you're listening and clearly you are uh <laughs> call me 
<laughs> we'll talk. We'll figure yeah. something out. So. Yeah, I think if if there was a Fat Records one announced, they, I would just they could have all my money to go on yeah. that to, to like, see. Yeah, no effects and good riddance and strung out and fucking. And it's, it's just like what they just did in uh, in California last year that it's not oh, dead. Oh yeah. If you just did it's not dead at sea and it yeah. was Descendants and fucking Bad Religion and shit, that sells out in a heartbeat. Absolutely. In Absolutely. a heartbeat. So yeah. yeah, they're fun, man. I think I think there's probably a stigma still attached a little bit where it's like a cruise ship. Oh, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm sure musicians are like, well, I don't want to be viewed as like a washed up thing. But then you have a right. band like Paramore, or whatever, doing it. And I'm like, Paramore's in their 20s, right. and they're doing like, make your money, dudes. Yeah, because it's like like I've heard some numbers floated around. Uh, a friend of mine uh, does a, a, a festival that will remain nameless. Sure. But they, he was he, but he was approached to do a festival cruise. Yeah, and they were like pitching ideas back and forth and. The, the dollar signs they were quoting him are fucking insane yeah. for not only what it costs, but then what you can make on it. Like, it's a lot of money. Well, it's yeah, like we need to, you and I need to go into business about what crews <laughs> we're going to set together. Yeah, we're in the wrong industry. Yeah. <laughs> let me let me tell you, being in a band is not the right industry. If you're at a certain level, unless you get to cruise level, then <laughs> that's, that's where it's at. <laughs> that's true. So what? So we we kind of jumped into the middle of it and I'll re. re I mean, she may have a question. I don't know. Sure, yeah. We, we may have to. Re I want to rewind back to where you got started in music, not even writing, but just like what, where you grew up. Are you from Rockford? I know that yeah. you have a Rockford connection, so that's where you grew yeah, up. Originally, originally from Rockford, I was born and raised there. Uh, lived there until 22, and then I moved to Cleveland when I got a job out here. So, okay. Um, for me, like my, if we're talking like first, first music. Yeah. You know, like the first big memory I have is like the Beach Boys. Sure. Um, I somehow got some. I, I, I was I know I was under the age of six. I remember this being in my, my parents' old house, not okay. their current house. So I was under the age of six and I had some Beach Boys compilation tape that I got that had Surfing USA and Help Me Rhonda and Little yeah. Deuce Coop and you know, it was like, you know, ten songs. Yeah. And I played that fucking tape more than more than anything else probably ever in my life yeah. to date. You know, I listen to that all the time. And that was really the start of me being like, Yeah, this is fun. Music is great, like learning how to sing and stuff like that. Yeah. And um, from there, like, you know, I got involved singing uh, chorally at a really young age. I was in choirs growing up as like a, like a boy choir and stuff like that. Okay. Um, at the same time I was doing that, I started learning how to play instruments. So I was playing the drums and later I learned the trombone. So I was pretty much like pretty well immersed in music from like age 12 onward. Like okay. at the same time I was doing that, I discovered like Green Day and the Offspring, you know, that was yep. 94. And so that was pretty much like the flashpoint in my life where it's like, hey, not only is this stuff awesome, but I can, I can make my own music too, even though it's not anywhere near the same thing, but I can actually create music too. Right. So it's pretty, been pretty much my life for the past, I guess, 21 years at this point. Wow. It's just music in some capacity. So as, as, so I've talked to – I haven't done a ton of interviews yet, but I've done you know some guys in bands. I've done a couple of producers, and I always end up for the most part – going to a question of like when you work in music I I think everyone can listen to it objectively but when you especially your role when you listen to something and go this is my review of this and this is exactly what I think of this thing is it is it easier for you to just pop on like something you know you like or is like when you sit down with something you don't know are you just automatically like dissecting it for you know the things that work about that song or that band you know I think it kind of depends on a case by case a little bit. Yeah. For example, if a publicist emails me and says, Hey, I have the new record from Band X and they know I like Band X, yeah. then I will I will hear that as a fan the sure. first time I listen before I start trying to be critical of it. You know, if if it's like um, you know, uh I, I just got sent the new record um 
from White Lung, which is this awesome punk band from Canada. Okay. It comes out later this year, and I'm a big fan. Yeah. Uh, and so she sent it to me. I'm like, oh, fuck yeah. Like, I want to get right into this. You know, I just want to hear it. Yeah. And then it wasn't until like, the second or third listen where I'm like, oh, now I can kind of hear these nuances here and yeah. kind of develop some critical ideas about it. Yeah. Um, I certainly don't enter into it looking to critique right. the first listen. I mean, there's plenty of music I listen to that I don't write reviews of. And honestly, yeah. I'm so busy nowadays, I rarely write reviews. I might write one review a month at this point. It's I'm very busy with this administrative stuff, you know. But, you know, even through all my time at Punk News or through my, my time at Alternative Press, it was very much like, you know, trying to absorb it as a person before I yeah. absorb it as a I think. So what is your role at Substream then? You were an, a, a writer and editor at AP? I am the editor-in-chief. It's really just my awesome. thing at this point. Um, the way the company is is that uh, Jason McMahon, the owner, who has, has been there for 10 years and you know he pays all the bills and runs everything, yeah. um, he handles all like the distribution and stuff like that. And then I'm the editor-in-chief. I pretty much make yeah. – 99.999% of the creative and editorial decisions, which is yeah, big boss, amazing. man. It's it, yeah. I'm I think I'm the uh, the uh, head bitch in charge. I think is what you call those <laughs> HBICs. Um, no, but I, I it's it's I love it because literally, <clears throat> excuse me. I've never had that creative freedom ever yeah. in my professional career. Um, I mean, there were plenty of things I was able to do at AP, but it was still a big company that had things that had to answer to. And for me, it's right. like I can now make any decision I want and. If my boss questions it, I can explain it to him. He's like, oh, okay, cool. And then we just move on. So That's awesome. uh, it's very creatively uh, uh, encouraging yeah. uh, an environment. I really, really enjoy it. That's great. That's great to hear. So so where does your start as in, in that side of music, where does that begin? Because you said you, you started playing drums, you were learning music, but where does the critique side kick in? Well, that... I owe that to my brother. Yeah. Um, my brother was two, was and still is two years older than me. Uh, <laughs> and he he also discovered punk rock at the same time I did. He was fourteen, I was twelve, and he got real into it real fast and discovered Maximum Rock and Roll and Punk Planet. And okay, he got, and he got inspired by by the zine culture and then started his own zine called Rockford Sucks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> in our town. And then after two issues of that, it became a different kind of greatness, which is actually the the slogan of our hometown, a different kind of greatness, which is the uh, shittiest slogan for a hometown. Wait, that's legitimately the, the yeah, slogan? <laughs> I don't know if it still is, but it was for a number of years. It was like, Rockford, Illinois, a different kind of greatness, which means we're pretty shitty. <laughs> the Coke uh, 2 to a town. Yeah, but so he, so he started doing that as like a print zine. And, you know, my dad... Um, you know, my dad had his own office, so my brother would cut would Xerox everything in my dad's office and that nice. kind of stuff. And so, of course, since I was the younger brother, I had to be involved. And so, I would write the shittiest possible <laughs> reviews for two sentences long because at that point, my frame of reference for reviewing was reading Maximum Rock and Roll, where right. those reviews, were yeah, two sentences. it'd be like, "There's a new album from Ten Foot Pole. It's not bad," and like that's the review. <laughs> so, well, in this culture today, where no one's got the attention span, that might work. Just be like, not no, good. Was, All right, it, next one. It was, it was Twitter reviews before Twitter reviews <laughs> existed. Um, but yeah, so he started doing that, and I got involved with that, and I was writing a column for a zine and doing reviews, and then he went to college in 98, and he ported everything over to – wait, was it 98? Yeah, 98, 99. He ported everything over to online, and he started doing everything online. Oh, nice. And so then I got involved uh, doing the website. It was adkg.com, which terrifyingly is still up. Nice. He still paid the hosting bill for God knows how long, and so <laughs> you can go there and read all my horrifically terrible writing. <laughs> It is bad. So those um, don't go on your resume when you go to another job. You don't put adkg.net. <laughs> I do not. I do not. And uh, but yeah, so I so I ended up doing that for a while and um, just kind of 
you know, it's anyone. The reason anyone starts a zine is to get free records. Right. So it's like, oh, I get free records. Cool. So that's what we were doing. And so we got on like the Fat Records mailing list and the Epitaph mailing list and the, I think maybe Jade Tree, you know, a nice. couple other random hardcore labels and stuff sure. like that. And so we were doing all that. And then I was, I, I was constantly getting more and more involved in music in my hometown. And mm-hmm. I was in bands and I uh, worked at a record store. So I was seeing a lot more coming through. So I just started writing a lot more. Just was like, oh, I can do this. I can write reviews. It's not like a thing. I just, yeah. I wasn't even like thinking of that as like a career choice. I was like, oh, I can just do this and, and control tribute as I'm also, you know, writing for the zine as a columnist and working at a record store and booking shows and playing in bands. So like yeah. it was just one more piece to me of things that you kind of had to do to be involved with the scene. That's how I felt about it. Yeah. Especially because our scene was pretty small and didn't have a whole lot of opportunities going on. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh this is something I can do. I can fill this void, you know? Um and then once I got to college, uh I was writing a lot more for his website, writing longer form reviews. And then it was 2001, my, at the end of my freshman year, um, I had been reading punknews.org for a long time, oh, maybe nice. about a year or two at that point. And they had opened up a thing asking for review submissions. Okay. And so I just started resubmitting a bunch of my reviews that I had written from my brother's website. And I would just tag him and say, oh, I'm basically just syndicating these reviews. Yeah. And Aubin Paul, the guy who uh, created Punk News, was running a bunch. And he reached out to me in the spring of 2001 and was like, hey, I could use another editor if you want to get involved. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds cool. And that began my professional career in earnest awesome. from May of 2001 onward. And, uh, it, you know, so from 2001 to 2004, for the next three and a half years, I was doing punk news full time. Yeah. And when I say full time, I mean literally every day of my life during school, during work, whatever it was, yeah. uh, not making a dime off it. It was completely volunteer. But that's what then kicked open doors when I graduated college. You know, like I was a. Uh, my thought the entire time going through college was, oh, I'm going to get a job at Epitaph. That was always my thought. Nice. I was like, I'll get a job at Epitaph Records. I don't know what I'll do there, but I'll, I'll just work. I'll work for Epitaph. Sure. They know who I am. They'll hire me. That was my <laughs> fucking idiot, idiot thought. And uh, of course, whether or not they were hiring, it doesn't matter. Right now. Uh, so then um, uh, I graduate, or I get ready to graduate, and a job listing comes up for a copy editor at AP. And I'm like, I don't even know what a copy editor is. And then my friend tells me, I'm like, I can do that job. So I applied <laughs> to that. Having no experience really doing specifically what they were looking for. Yeah. Uh, but they read Punk News. They knew who I was. They'd been reading Punk News for a couple of years. So that's what got me my foot in the door there. And I interviewed. And that was the only job I interviewed for after graduating college. And I got it. And uh, wow. that was it. So I've been on a very, uh, again, terrifyingly low <laughs> amount of job uh, interviews in my life. Uh, I have so minimal experience with like <laughs> making a resume and trying to like, convince someone to pay you money for a living it's it, you know it's 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 almost hilarious well now you've now you've already kind of set yourself because anyone who if you're going into a job unless you go a completely different path then 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 you might be screwed but going into any sort of music path they can go oh this is your list of experience oh i know who you are this okay great like this all speaks for you like if you all of a sudden you're like well i want to become an electrician and you showed them all this stuff they'd be like well <laughs> i mean that's, uh, well we'll think about it we'll give give us some yeah. time <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, uh, and even like the music industry stuff, like I'll be straight up, like you know, when I lost my job in, in December of 2014, I said, you know, I was, uh, you know, unemployed and I was just casting out resumes left and right looking yeah. for stuff and applying for any sort of like publishing job or writing job I could find or editing job I could find mm-hmm. in Cleveland, around Cleveland and got, and even some stuff on like the coast too, because I wasn't really interested in moving, but if right. it was a job that would be worth it, I would consider it. And zero responses it wow. was just like and it, it was also was the end of the year so like you know yeah. it was really going through resumes in december and january but at the same yeah. time like i thought oh i have 10 years experience this will get me somewhere dude nothing <sighs> it was it was you know the phone did not ring and uh 
it was pretty it was pretty brutal and then luckily i was able to, you know jason from substream reached out to me he found me and he's like hey i'm trying to do this thing blah blah, blah. and i knew who substream was so that yeah. really like everything kind of fell together perfectly in that case but yeah man even like having a decade plus of experience i've the thing i learned most from that was that if you're not living in the major right. entertainment areas, major yeah. entertainment mechas for like music industry, you're probably not going to get a look at those things because people don't want to deal with relocation and having to get someone there and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. it, you know, I feel like had I been in New York or LA or even Chicago, I would have had a much better shot of yeah. getting, you know, landing a job much, much faster somewhere uh, significant. But yeah. just the way it is. I mean, Cleveland's kind of an island in, in and of itself. And, you know, I, I love living here, so I don't want to yeah. run away. Aside from not having a job lined up, were were you and your wife thinking like we got to go to Chicago? We got to go to. We just have to head to a major city and like. I mean, it, it was certainly something we talked about a lot. I mean, we're in a place, you know, because she works from home. Right. She can work from home anywhere. You right. know, like her company will let her. We can move to fucking Hawaii and she can work from there. So it's yeah. like, you know, that's why when I was starting applying for things, I was casting the net relatively wide. I mean, I probably threw some, you know, resumes into London and to Seattle and shit like that. Yeah. Like, well. You never know who might bite. So you're just trying all these things for like, you know, Spotify and fucking, you know, uh, Apple Music and blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, you you just never never know. And uh, we talked about it, but then like it just kind of worked out where when Substream came forward, it was like, you can still work from home too. So now we're both able to work from home. And so if we were to go somewhere, like we could just up and go somewhere. It's it's actually a really nice level of freedom that lets us, you know, go on vacations or something like that. And if you just want to, you know, you can go on a working vacation and just bring your laptop and do a couple hours a day and then close it and you're good. So, yeah, so do you uh, do you technically ever have vacation, or is it just your void? <laughs> <laughs> well, I shouldn't say that. Uh, there are times. Um, there's uh, my family has a place up on Lake Michigan um, oh. on the west. west it's like right here, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, the west side of Michigan, and uh, it's been in my family for almost a hundred years. My great grandfather built it. Wow, uh, and so it's a kind of a cool little secluded thing on on a bluff overlooking Lake Michigan, yeah. and you get zero cell phone reception there. There's no internet. <laughs> So when we go there, that's yeah. vacation. Yeah. That's like when I'm there for four or five days of summer, that is like check out, lie on the beach, yeah. get sunburned, drink a bunch of beer, <laughs> you know, read a bunch of books. It's the, only, it's the only time of the year I get to read a book. Yeah. Like I'm so busy reading everything else all year long that I save up like a stack of books, yay high, <laughs> you know, seven, eight, nine, ten deep. Yeah. And just bring them all to the cottage and just read them all over the course of a week. Um, so that's when I'm only like really checked out where it's like I'm, I'm not working. Other than that, like we were – for Christmas, we were off for two weeks. Like my wife took time off. So she was officially off for two weeks and we traveled yeah. to Wisconsin and did this, that, and the other. And I'm still checking my email. I'm still texting, you know, because we're still putting an issue together, and there's right. still things that come up. And you know, I'm I'm I don't have the freedom to ignore emails, right. I guess, or I don't have the the uh, comfort level. Like to me, it would just make me if I look at my phone and I see it, I'm like, well, fuck, I have to reply. Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I can't just let it sit there for ten more hours. Yeah. So I'm pretty much always working, yeah. um, but I do feel like I'm pretty good also at like telling myself to stop. Um, which sure. is something I've worked on a lot this past year yeah. because you know I don't have set hours. Right. Um, it's technically freelance work because I'm doing it from home, so it's like it lets me kind of explore different things, and I can't really complain about it because I might work till 7 p.m. one night, but during the day I had a doctor's appointment, went right. grocery shopping, did that and the other. Yeah. So it's just it's in a kind of a give and take, really. It's just yeah. I'm learning that there's a lot more to having a non nine to five life than yeah. I ever thought. Yeah. I've, uh... My my wife's mom worked from home for a while, so whenever that topic gets brought up, she says like, "Yeah, it's it's tougher than you think it is." Like at first, you're like, "Oh, it's great," and then you start to realize, "Oh, I'm getting distracted by all the stuff I'm used to doing," and there's yeah. just yeah, there's dishes to do, and your mind can just wander so much. So to like get into a space, 
at your house that like locks you into being able to work. Like that's a that's a tough thing to well, get into. The, hard, the other the other thing too is that you don't talk to anybody. Right. That's the people don't realize that when you work from home. There's no one to talk to besides your dog, and for me, I'm looking to have my my spouse too. Yeah. But you know, she's working too, and I don't want to bother her. And it's like, yeah. it's it's very. That's what's the was the hardest thing. And it's funny because I went through this exact opposite thing when I went from college to AP. Was yeah. you know I was doing punk news, and punk news was we all worked independent of one another. We all just did what we did, and it was yeah. all via email or the website, and we never had to work. There was never an office setting. Uh, and then going to AP where there were 20 people in the office or whatever it was, mm-hmm. I instantly had conflict with people just because I didn't necessarily know how to behave. Right. You know, not, not that I was being an asshole. Right. Like, just that you're, you're, not, you're not used to working in an office environment at age right. 22 and having never worked in one before and having it feel like a casual work environment but still being a work environment. Yeah. It took me a while to gather my footing and I'm honestly – Amazing! I didn't get fired the first year I worked there because <laughs> I was probably a jerk to people without even knowing it. And so now it's like kind of switching backwards. Like, okay, I got so used to yeah. working in an environment surrounded by people and how to converse with people and how to negotiate and how to all those kind of things. And now I don't have any of those things anymore after doing it for ten straight years. So yeah. it's kind of unnerving to go back to sitting by yourself on a laptop on your headphones typing. You know, it's it's a it's yeah. it's a interesting culture shock. Yeah. So you you worked for your brothers. What would you call it? Was it a zine? Was that what he was calling it? Was it was a zine, yeah. yeah. yeah it, okay. it was a zine, then a web zine, yeah. So, that, so you worked for that, then you jumped to Punk News. At what point does AP come in the picture? Well, that was when I yeah when I graduated college. You know, that's oh, when, okay. I was, when I was applying for jobs, that was the only job I applied for. Well, no, I applied for like two jobs. That was the only one I got a call back for. Okay. And uh, I was aware of AP probably from 2000 well no 2001 i heard of ap mm-hmm. when i was at warp tour and yeah. this is actually funny because i was at warp tour in chicago tinley park and uh, they had a tent is on that, warp is that one of the I, I have to say one of the worst like warp tour experiences i feel like and when i go to any other towns i feel like it's either set up better or more spacious or it's yeah. just less people but i feel like they, every time yeah, i go to tinley park i'm like shoulder to shoulder with sweaty naked shirtless guys i'm like ah, i just i'm hot and i'm yeah. sweaty and it's miserable he, See, it used to be this is tangent, but it used to be back in the nineties, uh, ninety eight and earlier. It was at the United Center parking lot in oh, Chicago. Oh, okay. And it was awesome. It was yeah. just a big rectangle, and you just walked around. And it yep. was great. Yeah, the world was there. Whatever it's called now, the fucking Tinley Bank one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it is what it is. But no, so that Warp Tour, I was walking around um, with a girl I was dating at the time, and I saw their tent, and it caught my eye because they had hanging up this big cover blow up of Weezer because Weezer was on the cover. It always goes back green- to Weezer. Does and I was like, and it was like maybe like four p.m. I'm like, how how do I steal that? Yeah, like, that's all I can think. Of. I want that. How do I steal that? What, al- what remember, album was like, it for? Was it an album it was cover? For the Green album. Yeah, it was the comeback for the Green album. Okay. So it was like that was the issue that it was about. It was there. They just come back and it was, it was Mikey Wells that had Matt Sharp and all that stuff. Yeah. But uh, I remember like we circled around that tent like ten times. And I was like, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna get this, you know. And I remember like we went to go watch the Benjamins drive through records RIP. Oh, okay. Yeah. Milwaukee, own the Benjamins. <laughs> and, uh, after that, I was like, okay, that was like six 30. I was like, all right, let's go back right now. Let's just fucking, we'll steal it. Yeah. And we go back and they had just torn the tent down. I'm like, no, <laughs> so that was my initial, uh, AP. and then two years later, <laughs> this is funny too. Two years later, the first issue of API I ever bought was 
the All American Rejects were on the cover. Okay. And the reason I bought it was because on their website, like a month or so prior, they had done a photo contest. And they're like, oh, enter photos, like send us your best photos, and we'll run the winners in a future issue. Yeah. And I had submitted some photos I actually took at a warp tour. I submitted this really cool photo of Billy Joe Armstrong I took, and a nice. photo of Midtown, and a photo of The Faint. Like pictures and, uh, of you with them, or just like a nice no, picture goes, yeah, of them playing? Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah pictures. I was, I was kind of a budding photographer, too, at the awesome. time. Awesome. Um, so I had these really cool live shots that I got. Like I had the faint at, at, at a fireside bowl and some really cool photos. And yeah, I thought, awesome. oh, oh, these are great photos. These have to win. Yeah. And so I, remember I get to the store and I see the issue. And I'm like, oh, this is the contest. So I, I pick up the issue and it's polybag, so I can't open it. Right. So I have to buy it. So I buy it. <laughs> let me pay my $5, open it up. I was not one of the winners. <laughs> fuck this magazine. That's the first time I was like, fuck them. I should have won. <laughs> Fast forward to that winter when – they had like their annual readers poll, and then I get an email from uh, a guy named Aaron Burgess, who was the managing editor at the time, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Hey, uh, PunkNews.org won a bunch of our categories for best website and best form, blah blah blah." And I was yeah. like, "Oh, that's awesome!" He's like, "He sent us a logo, so we sent him a logo, and then he mailed me a copy of that issue as like a thank you." So that was like my first like real introduction, where it's like, "Oh, this is a cool magazine that's, that's covering the same stuff we're covering." Yeah, I wasn't really paying that much attention to it before then, so that was like my first uh, foray with it. Um, it's how I started with AP, really, and then it was six months later when I applied for a job, and they, you know, I had a pretty good in. We had I, I worked for the website who the reader said was the best website, so it was right. pretty easy to say, "Oh, bring this guy on board." So, were you and you were working, or was there a time where you were working at AP and Punk News at the same time? There was a brief period of overlap. I started at, at AP July two thousand four, two thousand four, mm-hmm. and I didn't officially resign at Punk News until like September or October. Oh, okay. I think. So there was a little overlap where I was trying to do both, and it was really difficult. Yeah. And also, my boss at AP was like, "You really shouldn't be doing this. Like, we're paying yeah. you; they're not paying you. You should probably be working for us." Yeah. And so I eventually signed everything over to because then I was reviews editor at, at, at Punk News. So I signed everything over to Brian Schultz, who was a reviews editor for many, many years at Punk News, and now he actually works for Bridge Nine. Um, he oh works wow. For them. Yeah, so he's doing really well for himself too. So, uh, yeah, that was kind of like the 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 changing of the guard was like September ish of two thousand four. Yeah. Okay. So that so so what's nice about this interview with you is that it's a perspective I've yet to get into is the you know the reviewer the writer of music and if there are if there if there are people who listen to this who eventually want to get into that world, I'm hoping that like you talking about this stuff, it's not just like a, you know, I wrote one thing and I showed it and like, why am I not getting attention? Like, like what, what are the, when you look back to you starting to write, are there things that you would have done differently in terms of like, Oh, I w- like, I went about it the whole backward ass way. Or like, is there just a way of like, you just got to put in, you know, your well, 10,000 hours and then eventually. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely the sweat equity. Yeah. I, I certainly went about it ass backwards. I did not, I do not have a journalism degree. My yeah. college didn't offer journalism as a major. Uh, I graduated with a speech communication degree, which is along the same road, but yeah. not really anywhere yeah. as intensive as a journalism degree. And for me, it was an issue of just writing as much as I could for anything. And so right. I was writing for my school newspaper and all this kind of stuff. And I guess the way to look at it is. I, I as I was saying earlier, I looked at writing as just a, a small piece of the bigger puzzle, which is right. do everything, and it's it's the idea of being a jack of all trades, yeah, uh, and a master of none. As I you know, I said <laughs> when I was when I was eighteen or whatever, I was playing in bands, booking shows, yeah, uh, promoting shows, writing, uh, taking photos, uh, you know, working at a record store, yeah, uh, getting involved with websites stuff like that, and so just whatever I could do 
to further right. my sly involvement with the the subculture I was really aligning myself with. Yeah. And so at some point, you know, it, you know, I was hoping I would have been in a band that would have taken off. You know, yeah. I played in four bands, and I was at some point I was hoping that maybe one of those bands would catch on and we would be able to tour and blah blah blah. Yeah. And it just never worked out. But the thing that advanced me was my writing that I filled a void that there was, and yeah. so that's kind of how I look at that. Where it's like, it's tough to say. You know, to tell someone, I want to be a writer. How do I be a writer? Right. Right. You got to write. You know, <laughs> yeah. There's, there's no. I don't think there's a certain path anyone can follow to yeah. get the the ability to write. You have to. Some people just can't do it. You yeah. Know, there's people who do not know how to write. Right. I'm always amazed when, you know, in college, I said I was a speech comm major, and so mm-hmm. I'd take a public speaking class, and you know, that was something that a lot of people had to take as as not part of their major too, was some some kind of like comm class. Right. Right. You have, these, you have those like business majors or pre med majors or whatever show up in these comm classes who like. Or we're just terrified to open their mouths. Yeah. Listen, I am not that person. <laughs> I will talk your fucking ear off for 12 <laughs> hours. And for me, I love speaking. I love public speaking. Yeah. I love being able to communicate and then talking about what is, have questions asked to me and explain concepts. And yeah. I really enjoy that. Uh, but a lot of people just don't. And it's like, well, you can't, you can't make somebody right. love it, you know? Right. Um, so it's like if you don't already love writing, yeah. you're probably not going to end up loving it if you do it for 10,000 hours. But if you already have like a feeling that, hey, this is really cool and I enjoy the feeling I get when I write something and I enjoy critiquing and I enjoy writing bad reviews and good reviews and all yeah. that kind of stuff, and the more you work on it, the better you'll get. And I, ideally, someone will take notice and offer you a writing gig. And you'll, I mean I'm the perfect example. I worked my way up. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of fell upward for a half dozen years and <laughs> it, 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 it works out and people start taking you seriously. Um, you know, but then again, like I'm no one compared to like, what's that dude on YouTube? The needle drop, uh, Anthony Fantano. Do you know that? Oh, dude? No, I don't know him. He's like the hugest record reviewer on YouTube. Really? He's this guy is bald and has big horn rim glasses and <laughs> he reviews records and he makes these like 10 minute, 20 minute videos about him, just him talking about a record. Yeah. And it's so fucking pretentious, <laughs> but he gets like hundreds of thousands of wow. views. And like him reviewing a record will do more for that record than I could ever do in like six months. Wow. This, this, this is just the way the culture's gone. Right. You know? It's like there's more people on YouTube that that want to in, in, interact and engage like that than will ever pick up a copy of a magazine that I write for just yeah. because that's just the way culture's gone. So it's, you know, yeah, I have 8,000 followers on Twitter. Woo! <laughs> this dude has like 50 million or whatever. It's just one of those things where it's like it doesn't, you know, the the, the sphere of influence that I think I wield yeah. versus the influence <laughs> I actually wield is probably significantly different. Um, well, I tell I, I don't I don't like to think about that. I don't want to think that important. Obviously, <laughs> it's it's important to have an ego. But, yeah. yeah I mean, you know, there's probably 500 people out there who can say Scott Heisel changed my opinion on something. Yeah. There's probably maybe 5,000 people who could say something that I wrote without knowing that I wrote it changed their opinion. Yeah. You know, they don't know who I am, but they read right, something that I wrote. Right. And that's probably where it stops. Yeah, you know? it's it's not that big of a reach writing about such a niche yeah. audience. Yeah, you know that's if I was writing politics or pop culture, that may, that makes a lot more. But like right. I'm writing about no knife and yeah. edge and down. <laughs> it's like you know, and 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 the and the relative merits of the two. It's like right. you can't really make a living on that, and somehow <laughs> I managed to do it anyway. Nice. Well, that speaks to that. Like you said, like there's a very niche within a niche within a niche, and you're still able to make a living off it. So it's not you know. 50 million followers watching your YouTube videos, but you know, you're also not having to hawk something you don't want to do. You're not writing about something you're not passionate about. So there's something to say for that. 
Yeah, and that was you know my big thing at AP for years was like there's always politics. I mean, right. it's the music industry. Right. You could talk that on your side of the spectrum too. There's always politics. Yeah, and I tried to avoid that as much as possible. There were days and months and years at my time at AP where it was just it was going to be dealing with bullshit. Yeah, and uh, that's just the way you know things fell. And but in the past year doing Substream, it's like I said, the the bullshit has reduced in my life <laughs> so much. It's it's way down here now. It's yeah. way more which is awesome. And yeah. uh, the way I talk about it now is like I still am stressed out all the time, right? <laughs> but it's situational stress yeah. where it's a problem that arises and then I solve it and then it goes away. And it's like, oh, that's what stress should be. <laughs> and political stress where it's like, well, this person's spending oh, money with us. Oh, yeah. Blah, this person wants to do this and blah, blah, blah. And that's the kind of like black cloud of stress that just exists above your head, which yeah. is the music industry in a nutshell. We're like, everyone is afraid of losing their job. Everyone is afraid of doing or saying the wrong thing. Yep. You know, everyone is afraid that the person you might piss off today can be the person with the purse strings tomorrow. Oh, and it's like, man, you can't live your life. In my opinion, I can't live like that and right. be afraid of what I'm going to say. I'm an opinionated fuck. And <laughs> it's like and Scott it's Heisel called, and the name tag. Opinionated <laughs> <laughs> it's probably oh it's definitely cost me friendships yeah it's probably cost me business opportunities but i feel like it's i'm true to myself and yeah. so you know if 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 lying about things or trying to suppress my actual feelings about something yeah could result in me making six figures i don't feel like i would do that yeah i and again it's that's a that's a flight of fancy but like <laughs> It doesn't feel like that's who I am. Right. Now, if we're talking seven figures, yes, I'll sell that. <laughs> Everyone's got a number. Everyone's got a number. Everyone's got a price. And uh, I will happily sell out for like just, just a million dollars. Not even like ten, just a million. If I could say one day I was a millionaire before I paid taxes, that'd be great. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm way rambling at this point. You've got me off on a tangent. No, that's, I don't know. that's great. That's what this is, you know, that's what this that's whole thing's about. I love, I love getting into tangents. Um, yeah. but I think you brushed on something that like, there is like a kind of a, a line that connects all of music. And there is a thing of uh, you said like the cloud over music. And I think where, where, when it comes to you explained your side, but when it comes to labels, like our experience with the label was um, we, we went to label th hoping, thinking that they were going to grow us as a band. Like we don't know this world. You're going to help us out. And when we started to find out was that the bands that get a label's attention are the bands that are already selling and doing well. Like if you're a band that's not doing anything, they're not going to, I mean, that's not all labels. Some are the whole, the whole other way, but our experience was like, you know, they had bigger fish to fry and we weren't doing that well. So it's like at business dollars and cents are like, I don't really know what to do. And for you, you were saying like, you know, that person today could be someone that's above you tomorrow. And also, um, you know, if you're not, if you're writing about the the merits of No Knife versus like you could just be writing about you know Fall Out Boy every single time because you know there's an audience there, like there's there is that politic thing where what do you do? Do you as a band do you write songs because you want you know this kind of music is more popular or something, or do you stick to your guns because you know in ten years you'll have your own audience? Like it's that whole push and pull of you know, what, what would you rather do? Do you just want to write? Do you just want to play music? Then you can just do that. But, or do you have yeah. a sound or like a vision you are specifically passionate about? Then that's going to be a longer road. I feel, I feel like there's like three tiers here where like the first tier 
which is why a band starts or why someone starts a zine or starts taking yeah. pictures or book shows is that you just yeah. love it and you have a passion for it. And you want to be involved. And I think very few people, at least in our corner of the music mm-hmm. scene and the music industry, get involved by booking shows or whatever to make to right. just, just strictly right. to make money. You don't do that. If you make money, that's a very nice byproduct. Yeah. But you are booking that show because your town needs to have bands playing it or you are taking photos of bands because no yeah. one else is doing it or you are – Writing songs because there's nobody else writing the songs that yeah. you want to hear. And so you start all these things as passion mm-hmm. projects. And then you're faced with that point where you're like, okay, I put in a lot of time in this, a lot of energy on this, and I'm starting to receive attention mm-hmm. back. Now, where do I right. go? And so you have that thing where like, yeah, like a, someone like a Vagrant Records or someone like uh, a drive through sure. Records or, or nowadays be you know your top shelf or your run for yeah. cover or your no sleep. All these labels that started off as passion projects and now through some serious strokes of luck and some uh, fortuitous uh, occurrences mm-hmm. have had some bands that have broken out, gotten a lot of attention, and now they're making yeah. money for the first time probably ever in those labels' existence. They're, they're probably in the black, yeah. which is something they probably never even thought about because – you know, I have a record label and I lose money yeah. every year and that's fine because I do it because I right. like to do it. I don't do it to make money. And so that allows me to retain complete creative control. But you're, you're entering those labels now where it's like, well, you have to think about fourth quarter profits and you have to think about all this kind of stuff. And you have to think, okay, if you are signing a band and they're not catching on, well, then, yeah, it is yeah. business. And you have to then cut off things you like. And that's where I think so much of independent labels get stuck on where it's people – got into music because they yeah. love it now forcing themselves to make money off it and that warps your yeah. perspective now the beauty of the major label is nobody <laughs> gives a fuck anymore the beauty of a major label is they are there to make yeah. money you know that's why major labels exist they say they're there for artistry or development <laughs> but you you're there to make money we all yeah. know that unless you're fucking writing the check for the new built to spill right. record which makes you feel good about yourself other than that you're there to yeah. make money you know what i mean look at what they push out there so that's that's the other opposite of the spectrum yeah. is that we're down here thinking we still love what we do. Like, listen, you're doing this podcast. You're not making nope. money off this podcast. No, you're doing it because you want yeah. to do it. You know, and same the reason I do my podcast. We don't make money off it. It's a time investment. It's, yeah. it's you know, it's it's but it's worth doing because you have something that you want to say and something you want yeah. to convey. And on the opposite end is like you have podcasts that are taking advertisements and and having guests that are bought and paid for right. and that kind of that kind of stuff. And then in the middle you have something like. Nerdist or whatever, which is yeah. huge, more than ever expected, yeah. but they still have kept their their voice. But I'm sure there are times where whoever is on top of that and in, 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 you know behind the scenes is saying, "Listen, you got to book this yeah. movie star to be on your podcast because they're going to spend that money on the website, right. blah blah blah." And you always have those those you know uh, consolations you make, and uh, that's the challenge, yeah. man. Is like it's it's really difficult to make a living doing something you love. Yeah without occasionally feeling scummy yeah. about it. And I feel like that goes across the board for literally yeah, anything. Not just music, yeah. Especially the yeah. arts. Especially you know, and that's that's what sucks is that it's you're almost made to feel bad that you want to make money yeah. doing something that you love strictly that you love and not like compromising. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's the weirdest thing and it, that's not and that's that's punk rock a lot, but it's also there's just across the board where it's like, well, why should I pay for this? I'm like, because <laughs> like that's I'm you're you know it's it's yeah ah, yeah yeah. <laughs> what are those yeah. two? Now what are those two deadly know. words in in punk rock? Just selling out your your sellout. That was a it was such a thing then, and I, I don't know how much it is now, but I know for the longest time it's you can't sell out. You can't do something that's not you know true to you and true to this genre. And if you do, you'll be you'll be thrown out of the world. No one will respect you. And it's like 
So then what position are you put in? You're put in staying, you know, doing what you want to passionately, but living off of, you know, the, the littlest amount you can possible, unless you have that stroke of luck and it just works and the right people here at the right time. I mean, yeah. any band, like any band, any, I mean, anyone doing anything, but any band, any artist starting tomorrow, if they would have started today, could have had this person here. And it's just like, it's just such a crapshoot. And it's, it's, it's yeah. so hard to, when, if there are people who listen to this and like want to pursue this thing, it's like basically the advice that keeps going on on is just like, look, if you, if you love doing this, you just got to do it because who the hell knows about anything, but this no one, too, no one's going to do right. it for yeah. you. And no, no one will do it for you. And you know, there, you know, people say, well, how do, how do I get into this? I'm like, what do you want to get yeah. into? Like, it's not like there's like some special like velvet jacket <laughs> club that we're all, and if there is, no one invited me. You know? I, I'm waiting and, on my uh, invite. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I it must have gotten lost in the mail. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure it'll show up with that new Adele record at some point. Um, but it's just like, I, you know, I didn't start doing any of this because of the opportunities I thought it right. would give me. Like, oh, I can. Besides getting right. free records, that was the end. Was get yeah. free records and get free concert yeah. tickets. And like that was that that was as far as my pea brain could <laughs> could think when I was six sure. years old. And now it's like, you know, my my career path has given me my life, has given me meaning, has given me yeah. purpose, has given me a house over my head, no matter how modest it might yeah. be, has given me my yeah. wife, has, you know, I met my wife through my, my oh, work, wow. through my that's job. Awesome. She used to work for a record label and we met at South by Southwest <laughs> and like, that's, and here we are not done years later. I don't remember. She's not going to listen to this, don't worry. I think it'll be nine years in March when we met. Nine years in March, and, and amazingly, we're actually going back to Austin this March. That's awesome. So we'll we'll have our our ninth ninth anniversary of meeting, where I saw her in the crowd at Emos watching the Smoking Popes, and I was like, "That's, that's the girl." And it's true that's story. an incredible yeah. moment. That story that just warmed it's, my heart hearing that. That's 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 yeah. a I want to say it's like a punk rock love story. Just like you write that into a, <laughs> into, a, into a movie, and I'd watch it. It's totally true, man. I I, I literally I was walking through. It was it was a a, a day party. At uh, South by Southwest, and fuck, I, I can't remember who put it on. It might have been Metro put it on, and and uh, Smoking Popes yeah. were playing, and I love Smoking Popes because I'm a human being, so of course <laughs> I like Smoking Popes, and you know, I have a heart, and feelings, and emotions, <laughs> and uh, so I went to the show, and I was like, yeah, let's hear it for love, this is great, and then I see her in this amazing dress, I'm like, who is that girl? I have to meet her, and then she wandered off, and I didn't get yeah. to talk to her, and then later that night, I went to a record label showcase. And a coworker was like, "Hey, I want to introduce you to this person. She buys ads for their label with AP, and it was wow. her." I'm like, "Holy fuck!" And so I met her that night. And we hung out for the next couple of days, and I fell madly in love. I broke up with my current girlfriend like as soon as I got back from South by. That's a true story. I broke up with her like right away. I'm like, "This is not working out." I have you know a new yeah. idea. Uh, so yeah, so it's you know that that's that to me is like what the music you know my career in music, which is as inconsequential as it may seem yeah. to many has given me so much of yeah. my life but it's still at the end of the day i'm in it because i want to do it for myself i still have a right. drive to contribute you know i i don't do it because the pay is good because lord knows the pain <laughs> you know, it's I, I live in in a small house in yeah. cleveland it's very modest yeah. living um but you know no no one pays right. for anything it's what are you gonna do well, that's that actually ties into a nice little thing that I wanted to bring up because I don't know if this was the first time our paths crossed, but a memory, uh, my first memory of us crossing paths was at South by Southwest. You interviewing us for AP in the back lot of, I don't even remember, but it was like South by Southwest was, was going on, and I there was uh, we were 
I think you were in between, like you had to go between one thing and another. And we were there and you're like, hey, I actually wanted to grab you guys. And we did like a quick video interview for the website. And we just hung with you for a minute. And it was on like a flip this. camera. It was on a flip camera. I remember that. that yeah. Because right. that was like okay. flip cameras. They were like the hot shit at that time. That's yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I remember us that talking to you for a minute. And then I think we talked about we bonded over Rockford and the Felix Culpa. And then we split our separate ways. Um, that's yeah. all about <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I remember, I remember, uh, I, when I when I think back to because I was trying to figure out I was like when have, have we ever met before that but it was I think it was South by Southwest um, but I remember doing Warp Tour with you well, guys so, in 2008 and I remember seeing you guys on main stage in Scranton so I so was. actually and I, I talked about this a couple episodes episodes ago because I was like I was trying to remember or I was also trying to remember like our times are uh, past cross but the um but that was the, that was the only time we played main stage was that day we played it once the the first slot or something and like no one yeah, no one was there and then we that was the last time yeah. we did and we i mean we were tickled pink we're like we're playing the main stage and i think our buddy who was doing sound he constantly kept fucking with us in a way that we loved where he'd put like the theme song from wait the like the wave race Nintendo 64 game, like before he went on stage, like shit like that, that like we just loved. But I think he did that at that show and we were bouncing off the walls. And I, I that, that, that was my, that was my first day I worked with that summer. I just joined the tour that day for the next like two yeah. weeks or whatever. And I remember, I remember you guys opened main stage at like 11 in the morning. <laughs> and I remember somebody on stage had a stop and a go yep, sign. Yep. That was big on that tour. Yeah. that? Yeah, that that was a thing. But I remember watching. I remember watching you guys on the stage. I was like, yeah, that's really cool, you know. And then yeah, that was. And then that day, that was the sh- fucking. Remember the yes. storm that was in Warped yeah. Tour that day? Yeah, <laughs> the worst. Yeah, merch tents blowing that, oh over. My God, I remember got, that. I was like, oh, oh so this is how this is gonna go. <laughs> a sign of things Dude, to come. That was gnarly. <laughs> yeah, because for, for people who don't know, this is Scranton, Pennsylvania, and Montage Mountain, which is the way Warped Tour is there. It's on a slope. Yeah. The whole thing is on a slope where you come in at the bottom, and that's where the main stages are. And then you kind of go all the way up the slope to the top where they have the big amphitheater where like the smaller bands yeah. would play. They flip that. And um, this crazy storm came through, and of course, all the tents are toward the bottom, mm. and so everything just gets washed out. There are people in like merch bins, like yep. fucking in canoeing, <laughs> going by. And I remember when it, when the rain was starting coming down, we were we were doing a signing at our tent with the Devil Wears Prada, yep. I think, and like we had to like the, like lower the tent down to cover everybody and blah blah blah. <laughs> and then I remember um, finding out that the Agrolites were playing in the amphitheater at that point when the storm yeah. started, and they went from playing from like five people to like. <laughs> 10,000 people. No better circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it worked out for them. And then the other thing I remember about that too is once the sun came back out, uh, Reliant K uh, was on the main stage and they played the office theme song. That's awesome. I remember that too (laughs) because uh, they were in screen. So it was good. That's good. That's my memory of my first day of Warped Tour 2008 was was watching you guys then having my shoes get waterlogged for two weeks straight. It was good. That's good. That's a good one. That's a good memory to have. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so, so one thing I was gonna, I was two two things that I have to try to make a, a note, a mental note to get into. And one of those things um, that we haven't really gotten into yet is as a being on the side of music that you are. What I guess what like what are what are some things that are like pet peeves for you that? And I'm sure there's you could probably that could be its own podcast. But a band wants your to wants you to work wants to work with you. They want you they want sure. your input on something. I'm sure. Okay, so 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 to do's and to don'ts. Sure, basically. I mean, and this could be. I'm okay. sure you got a thousand, but you know, what are the top ones for you? All right, one, never, and this isn't just for me. This is for any journalist, yeah. any whatever. Never send anyone. If you're appealing to a manager, a label, never send anyone an, e- an MP3 attachment. <laughs> never, never, ever, yeah. ever. 
Never, ever, 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 ever send him a link to a SoundCloud, a link to a Bandcamp, a link to a YouTube yeah. page, a link to a Spotify page for a number of reasons. One, nobody wants files clogging up right. your shit. Like that's the most annoying fucking thing in the world. I don't want to download 15 megs of your shitty demo. <laughs> I don't care. Two, if you link someone to fucking Spotify or YouTube or whatever, you get plays for those. And that means oh. if someone listens to it, then, hey, you might actually make ten, a tenth of a cent or whatever it yeah. is. Like use your fucking head, you know, <laughs> make them listen to your music online because guess what? Like if all that stuff matters, if someone – if you send someone a link to your, your EP on Spotify yeah. and that person clicks through and listens to it, A, you get money. B, maybe their shit is set up to fucking feed to their Facebook page and all of a sudden, hey, Jim Johnson's playing this wow. band on, on Spotify. I'm like – it all helps yeah. like that. So don't be an idiot. Don't send gigantic photos or gigantic MP3s for email. Nobody wants yeah. them. If we need them, we'll ask <laughs> you for them. Never just send them unsolicited. Yeah. Um, also, don't pitch a website or a magazine or whatever yeah. uh, about your band if you do not are if you are not familiar with that magazine or website's content. Okay. There is nothing more insulting to me than to get emails from people, just cold call emails where they're they got my email out of some music industry directory, yeah. which are out there, which are a bunch yeah. of shams. Like, hey, we wanted to send you this. And they have no fucking clue. Like and, and like what they're sending me is music we would literally never cover in, right. in a million years. Like whether it's whether it's jazz or R and B or salsa music or hip hop or things that are like things that would never fall into the category of like a rock yeah. magazine. They send this, and I'm like, you have no idea what you're doing. Like, why are you wasting your time and my yeah. time? So don't think that everyone needs to hear you. <laughs> Chances are nobody needs to hear you. <laughs> don't think that – don't think – it's just it's one of those things where don't think anybody even wants yeah. to hear you. Pick the 10 people or the 15 people or the five people whose names you see the most when you're reading things yeah. online. Keep track of who writes the things you like, and that's who you pitch. Whether or not your music 100% aligns with what they're writing yeah. about – if you can say to this writer, hey, I've been following your work. I used to read you on punk. For me, it's like if someone says, hey, I remember reading you on punk news 10 years ago. I'm going to listen to your yeah. band immediately. Do you because research? that means that you've been in it for a while. Yeah. And, well, and not even just that. It means that you've been in it for yeah. a while. It means that if you read something I wrote in 2003 and you're still making music, that means that you are not in this yeah. to get rich quick. It means you are making music because you yeah. want to. And I probably will relate to you on a visceral sure. level. Whether or not I feel the band, I will still give it yeah. a shot. So. Pick the people who you respect as writers uh, or publications you respect or websites you respect and reach out to those directly. The places where you discover music from are the people you should be hitting yeah. up. You know, um, Do not get discouraged if you don't hear back. You will not hear back from 99% yeah. of people. Uh, we are all very yeah. busy and you have to realize that I'm looking at my – Gmail right now, I have 1,338 unread messages oh, so just in my substream account. Ugh. Oh, it's very stressful <laughs> every day. And, that, and that's because it's a weekend. It's oh going to be at 2,000 come Monday. You know what I mean? And that's just unread messages. And what percent um, of that is we, bands trying to send you? Yeah. A lot. <laughs> I mean, a, lot of it, a, a lot of it is junk. A lot of it is just junk press yeah. releases where it's like, we're doing this. I yeah. don't care. Delete. Yeah. Like, if you're going to pitch me on something, Make sure it's right for what I'm yeah. doing. Make sure it's up my alley. Like, there's, for example, like um, somebody, uh, this band recently, uh, their manager pitched me on. I, I I don't remember their name. They're a very odd name. It's like Q on Q or something okay. like that. They're like a they're like a like a, this kind of weird noisy post punk mm -hmm. band. They don't really have a following, but they pitched me on their cover of an Elliot Smith song, and I'm like, well, that's an interesting yeah. hook. A weird weird mathy post punk band covering Elliot yeah. Smith. Okay, that's interesting. But then they add to that by saying, "Hey, we saw that you covered this Elliot Smith tribute this year. 
that you know we just want to let you know we're doing this too blah 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 and i'm like oh they've done yeah. their research they've connected the dots and now i feel like they care about my input they're not just hitting me up to have another right. voice and it's like that's the biggest thing where writers are incredibly overworked and incredibly yeah. underpaid and we're all doing this because we love doing it and so don't make it harder on us make sure you are talking to the people that you connect with uh, on a readership yeah. level, you know, that's my best advice It's like, don't just cold call people. Don't just drop CDs in the mail and think they're going to listen to you. Cause they're yeah. not, they're going to, uh, as, as Chris Conley from saves the day calls it, they're going to end up on roadside records, <laughs> which is going out the window. And that he told me that once actually, actually in Cleveland, the show you guys played in Cleveland with them. And that acoustic yep. tour, he told me that whenever they get demos at shows, like, oh, yeah, we'll listen to this. Uh, and the van, they'll be like, oh, time to get signed to Roadside Records. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I think he said that to us at some point, and you saying that jagged my memory. Because I do remember, uh, I remember them talking about hucking them, but I forgot that he so eloquently called them uh, Roadside Records. Roadside that's, records. that's great. Great, great record. That's good. They, they sign every band. <laughs> they, they accept every single band. Um, so actually, it just I, my memory just got jogged for some reason about another time we crossed paths. And I don't know if you rem- if you'll remember this either, but it was Warp Tour related. It it might okay. it might have been it might have it might, I don't know if it was the Scranton night, but it was probably within those two weeks because it was two thousand eight Warp Tour. The night there was a drum contest and you played. Yes, that was the first <laughs> that was the first night. night? Was okay, because yeah. I was trying to figure out in the scheme of things how that felt. But I remember. There's a video of that on YouTube somewhere from the guy who beat That's me. A- there was some guy in a shitty band called Blame Shift, okay. and he and I were in the finals or something. And like they someone videotaped and put it yeah. on YouTube, and yeah, that was the first time I had played drums publicly in like four That's, years. That, that, that took uh, balls, man, because I stood yeah. there and didn't do it. And what's funny about that is I stood there. They're still looking for people, and I think we just watched you. And I was like, damn, Sky can throw down. And I'm standing there, and they're like, oh, someone dropped out. We need another person. And my buddies looked at me and I was like, that's my nightmare. Like I like being in a band tucked away. Everyone watching me yeah. just play drums. I, it will just be like my fingers wouldn't work. Like my arms would fall off. And what, what, what follows is that behind us, I hear this booming, dark, deep voice go, Hey man, you should do it. And I turn and look at this mountain of a man that is Fletcher from Pennywise looking at me. I'm like, <laughs> what? And he's like, yeah, man, you should go do it. I'm like, is Fletcher from Pennywise yelling at me about playing drums? <laughs> like, I never in my wildest dreams. And I still didn't do it. And I felt like I thought he was going to either just like break me in half or eat me. Like, yeah. if you'd have told high school me that Fletcher from Pennywise was yelling at me to play the drums, I don't know. That the punk rock Chewbacca was yelling at you, yeah. <laughs> That's what he is. That's a great. That's a great way to summarize. If you don't know who Fletcher from Pennywise is, is the punk rock Chewbacca. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. No, that the thing with that, I was like, I remember being there, and I was like, well, fuck it. Like, you know, I, I remember seeing, I think Kobe from saying anything drunk. Yeah, yep. And somebody, somebody else, I, I was aware of, and I was like, you know, fuck it, I'll just yeah. do this. I'll put my name in. And I didn't know anybody in the tour, and I was like, well, let's fucking do this and whatever. And, and people still like mentioned that to me that I did yeah. that. I don't know. I see. I was I was in jazz bands all throughout high school and yeah. college. So like I. I learned to savor the drum yeah. solo. I loved having that spotlight sure. on me. Um, so it was it was fun to do, and people were definitely surprised. Like, oh, you can play drums! Like, people don't realize. Like, not only did I play drums, yeah. and I've played drums since I was twelve years old. Like, I was a professional singer, like like choral singer. I went to college on a vocal scholarship. That's awesome. I have performed all in cathedrals all over the world and choirs, and I've done operas and shit like that. <laughs> and, like, it's just one of those things that doesn't really play into right. what I'm doing for a living. But uh, you know, that's why whenever I see things in Landmarks, like. When someone's like, when when fans get mad that I will critique an album and like give it a poor yeah. review, well, fuck you. Where's your band? You don't have any talent. And I'm like, actually, like I have actually just been send doing a link of you singing years. back to him and just mic drop. Yeah, here's me singing Ave Maria when I was 12 <laughs> years old at a fucking you know, funeral or whatever. 
Man. But uh, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like you know that's I people you 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 never know. What what you never know everything about right somebody, you know yeah I and mean? that's one things where it's like I I see that stuff come up and I, I just laugh and I'm like yeah, all right you can say I don't know about vocals right. you know or whatever like I'm I would literally went to school and trained <laughs> yeah. like took like vocal performance and you know whatever yeah. so I I have a pretty good idea of how like harmonies work you know or like triads yeah. or whatever and listen I'm not some like super big music theory nerd like I took music theory like my freshman year I didn't do so well yeah. at it but I definitely understand it you know yeah. what I mean. And I see these bands that like just have no fucking clue about anything. <laughs> like, and, and that's fine. You can certainly get right. by with with downloading, uh, downloading. What, what the fuck? What, what are those called? Those charts oh, called for guitars? Yeah. They called. You know the yeah, numbers ones, yeah. or whatever. It's like four, four yeah. three, five, five. You can get by with that, I guess. <laughs> but if you want to do cover songs for your whole life, <laughs> yeah. And I was always uh, humbled by the fact that. Andrew, Matt, and Adam all could read music, and I, for the life of me, could like I tried to take a couple different classes. It's like learning Japanese to me. It could just the the it just never yeah. clicked, and it was so frustrating because I was like, I've learned by listening. Like I can just if I can just connect these dots, like I can take it to the next level. And uh, to this day, it's like the one thing I'll go to my deathbed like regretting. Like I could never. Uh, what's a quarter note look like? <laughs> and just die, just fade off. So so really so if, if you're like if you're like singing a church hymn like in a hymnal you can't like follow along with the thing you you don't you no. can't understand that see that's crazy <laughs> to me like that's that 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 to me is like public speaking where like it's such sec- second nature yeah. to me and I'm like people who can't get that that it's it's like being colorblind <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. that's that's what that, that, that's what that feels it like. it's like you know it's yeah it's crazy no I'm sorry. no I'm I'm, I'm sorry for I'm, myself I, <laughs> especially because my dad like played in a drum corps he played he was a tr- he plays a he played uh, trump, uh, trumpet and like so he can read music my uncles can read music like I was surrounded by all these people who can read music my wife can read music she plays piano I just so were you over so did you not play like like drums no. in high school or anything and like that's that? if I would do it again oh. I would have I would absolutely done that my way through was just oh my a couple of my buddies got guitars for Christmas and I ended up my dad bought me and my stepbrothers a drum kit and I was the only one who started playing it and put on uh you know Shashire Cat, Blink One Eight Two and Dude Ranch and just learn the drums basically. <laughs> exactly. And and just get really strong with one arm and get really weak with the other arm and then just spend the rest of my life like just regretting that I didn't uh sit and learn the basics. Oh man. Oh uh, that's that's unfortunate. It is, it is. Um but um so so going going through to so you were just talking about you know you know you're someone who writes and works in this world, but you also know the technical aspects. You're not like someone who is pretending to know about cars, but has never, you know, had an oil, you know, never done your own oil change or something like, you know, your shit. Yeah. And well, to, to an right. extent, I, I won't say the, the one thing I'm still woefully ignorant on is production techniques. Okay. I have not spent a ton of time in studios before, yeah. you know, my, when my old bands would record, it would be like in a day. So it's like record 10 times in a day. You don't get a lot of yeah. experience. That's my one big thing that I wish I had more knowledge about was like actually, being in a studio, seeing a record being made, yeah. seeing how things are put together, like, you know, that kind of stuff. So I, I try not to, it's, it, it's kind of like being a movie reviewer and not having ever like made a sure. movie. Cause there's just those things where like you can review a movie based on like acting yeah. or, you know, whatever, but you can't review it on like a cinematography level or something like that until you understand those, that level of stuff. So I try to avoid when people say, Oh, this is overproduced. First off, <laughs> fuck you. It's a stupid yeah. thing to say, and like second, I'm like, what does that even, it doesn't mean yeah. anything. It means nothing. So I try to avoid that level yeah. of of criticism because I feel like I would be called out and raked across the coals for not yeah. knowing it. But well, so anyway. so 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 knowing like like 
you you like bands like Weezer. You like bands. There, there. Are, I'm sure the the spectrum of music that you like can cover. You know, just miles worth of all kinds of genres and things, and te- and how technical a band is versus how simple what they write is. Where where I where I fall in to uh, a focus with you is the Felix Culpa, a band from Rockford, okay. a band that you are passionate about. From at least you know you've put out uh, their vinyl, you've supported them. I remember in the in probably 2008 2007 opening an ap and seeing a bit like either a full page or a half page article that you wrote on them it was a half, half page. page yeah so i'm yeah. i'm like huh. you you are in their corner big time and that's someone like as as a band in their position that's huge like you know to have someone in the industry backing you to the extent and supporting what you do we'll be in love. Look at that, and it's like even when I was covering them heavily when I first got to yeah. AP, when they put when they put up commitment, they were in like six issues in a row. I just found ways yeah. to work them into the issue, just small things in there. And so yeah, I, I've always had that band's back, but at the same time, like look where they ended up. Like they, you know, they're, they're they didn't get very much bigger. So, it's uh, like it goes to show you that you you can yell into the <laughs> void for months about yeah. something, but until other people start yeah. yelling, one voice can only carry so far. And so that's the most futile feeling as as a writer yeah. when you know that you're backing something with your entire heart and yeah. soul and just nobody else is because it's not part of the the current rock crit buzz yeah. bands or whatever it is you know like you're not talking about whomever it was at the time arcade fire or yeah. something like that you know it's like not that those bands are bad either but like if you're the only one being like this is the band and nobody else right. hears it it's not gonna happen and that's what sucks that's what i felt with bear vs shark too uh, i wrote about bear vs shark endlessly Given the records five stars and blah blah yeah. blah, and like, and just nobody, nobody cares. Uh, it's like fuck, man. You know, it's 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 a very very uh, depressing thing. I mean, I, listen, nobody knows why a band becomes popular. Yeah. There's no one way yeah. because you can have a band get all the critical acclaim in the world, and they still can't sell out a 500 cap right. room in their hometown. You can have a band get demolished in the press and be yeah. nickelback. You can have a you know, there's you can have a band get radio play and still can't sell tickets. Yeah. Like there's all there's so many pieces of the puzzle and it's it's nice to know that people consider press to be a part yeah. of that puzzle. But it's really like it's you know, I, I I really wonder in, in my time at AP how many records I was responsible yeah. for selling. 
you know, and uh, I'm sure there are some that I reviewed something. So I was like, I'm going to go listen yeah. to that. But like, it's probably depressingly low <laughs> in terms of, you know, it's just, that's just what yeah. it is. It's because like, nobody does anything these days unless they are bombarded right. with stuff. You know, like there's like, what was your favorite record of last year, for example? Of, of 2015? Probably. Sure, yeah. Or just something. Well, the, the one, and I keep talking about this a lot in over the episodes, is Kendrick Lamar's album, The Pimple Butterfly. Like, <laughs> Okay, now, and how often did your friends talk about that album, too? Like, you probably didn't hear that the day it came no. out, did you? Okay, so you probably came onto it a few months later after hearing Pitchfork talk about it, and the AV Club talk about it, and your friends mm-hmm. talk about it, and their friends talk about it. And it's like, at that point, you're, 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 you're subconsciously just absorbing Kendrick Lamar, yeah. Kendrick Lamar, Kendrick Lamar. Like, and you've heard nothing but good things. And so, like, at some point, you're like, I'm going to fire that up on Spotify and see what it's yeah. all about. And then you're like, oh, that's pretty fucking great. That's how I was with that record. I, I didn't hear that record until about a month yeah. ago. I was like, eh, I'll get to it. And then, like, eventually, I'm like, oh, I'll listen to it. And it was on Amazon Prime Music, which okay. I use all the time. And uh, I was like, this is really fucking good. What a cool yeah. record. You know, I, and I never would have heard it had, had I not been saturated right. with just wherever I go online was writing about it. You know, and that's how all that stuff works. It's everything is saturation. It's, it takes a lot to make a person check out a yeah. band. And that's what's crazy, you know? Even people who are like, oh, I love new music. Well, not really, because <laughs> there's a lot of it out there, and you're, and you're still listening to, you know, 21 Pilots or whomever. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're not new either. They've been around for seven right. years. It's like so much, I, I don't know. I'm, again, I'm, I'm, I'm fucking going off on a tangent <laughs> No, here. that's great. You're setting me off. That's great. Well, but off. And that, and that, that touches on another subject, which is like, by the time someone's heard a band, if if you're hearing of a band that's at like that level, by the time you're like, "Whoa, look at this great new band!" No, they they could have been a band for ten years, like before you even got to them. Like against me, like bands that finally got you know not only just signed to a major because you could be a no name band get signed to a major and then forgotten about <clears throat> my our story. The other there are other bands who <laughs> you know trudge trudge like those ten years, and when they hit it, it's something that they can sustain. And, you know, you go to Riot Fest or Warp Tour and you're like, oh, who's this Against Me band? No, that's a band that's like, they're road dogs. Like, yeah. they have done it. They put in yeah. the work. That's 10,000 hours. Look at uh, when Fun won the Grammy for Best New yeah. Artist, and it's like, and they even joked when they went up there. They're like, "Yeah, we uh, we've been a band for like ten years." I mean, because not really, because I mean, they were the band for like right. three years at that point. But then eight before them was in the right. format, and Jack was in Steel Trade. It's like all the dudes and stuff, and it's like, oh, Best New Artist. That's cute. I remember when when Green Day got nominated for Best New yeah. Artist after Duke came out, and even when I was twelve, I was like, they have two other records. <laughs> like I knew yeah. that because I I bought them, you know, when I was young, and I was like. How can they be new? How can they yeah. be new? They, you know, whatever. And it's like you have to realize that, like, the threshold of new yeah. to most of America is like a gold yeah. record. Yeah. Like that's it's wild. It's 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 wild. The the level at which most of America does not give a fuck about yeah. music. It just doesn't matter. You know, there was there was an article the other day talking about how people there's a survey done about how what, what people pay for music uh, for streaming yeah. and people feel like they pay too much if they feel that 9.99 a month on spotify is too much money to All have them, yeah. everything <laughs> 
to have all of the and music. Mozart, Beethoven, fucking Miles yeah. Davis, John Coulter, everything. It's all. It's nine ninety nine is too much yeah. money. You fucks. <laughs> like that to me should be like like an automatic yeah. tax in every household in America to like pay for yeah. music. Like it, it, we're at a point where it's like we're oh god it's it's, it's <laughs> when I think about that stuff it makes me so upset yeah. like physically angry because it's like this is what I love so much and I've seen so many of my friends and not even people that are my friends but it's people I right. respect that have gone through such a ringer where they've made incredible music moving music life changing yeah. music and now they're fucking working at sheets yep. or whatever like that's just that's life and it's like it's because people are so trained. To assume that music it should just be given, yeah. You know, just take it, give it to me. I, it's not worth <laughs> right. anything. It's like, but what's crazy to me is that you look at something like movie piracy, which is a problem. Yeah. But I feel like that you still look at Star Wars. Star Wars made one point X billion dollars, yeah. B yeah. billion, and I'm sure people still downloaded it. But it's like, it's they still have no problem going to pay for it. So it's like, why is music not an event yeah. anymore? You know, it's 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 such a sad state of affairs. To know that like. Release dates don't really affect things anymore, yeah. and it, I mean, people just don't have that passion. And you look at something where it's like it takes so much work to get anyone to a platinum record yeah. these days. So much work, and a platinum record means one million sales in the U.S., which means one three hundredth <laughs> of the count of the country yeah. has bought your record. Yeah. One three hundredth. That's nobody. <laughs> that's nobody. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's and that's that kind of shit. Where it's just like. That means like so Adele's record went platinum first yeah. week, all right? So if you surveyed three hundred of your Facebook friends, that means one of them bought it. That's yeah. it. Which where's the impact of that? Where like if you were to survey those same three hundred people, a hundred of those people probably bought the new Madden game for Xbox. Yeah. Or two hundred of those people saw Star Wars. It's just like that shows you how far down music has fallen yeah. in terms of cultural impact and relevance and just like it's so it lags so far behind video games and movies. Yeah. It's dep- it's so depressing. Well, and that you know, that, I think that touches on something else that's uh, that's interesting. That like for in the past few years, I don't know at what point or what article I read, but it might have been a Vice article talking about the impact of like music in video games, saying like that's the next plateau. Like if you're a band, like like stop worrying about trying to get your song on a TV show or a movie. Like video games yeah. is where it's at. And we had a yeah. song put in Watch Dogs, like when that came out, and then. So we got super excited about it. Like, oh my God, like this is a video game. We we were supposed to have a song in uh, NHL 09 or something and end up getting on the chopping block. So we we're, you know, devastated by that. But um, <laughs> especially because it was like, I guess it was like the first year in a long time NHL games got really good again. So we were like, oh my God, of course, that's the game. But so Watch Dogs comes out. There's all this hype about it. Everyone's so excited. And then the game itself, damn dogs, the game itself like has all these problems, launch dates and stuff, and then people play it and they're like, eh. Like we had friends go nuts and send us screen caps and stuff. Loved it. But like yeah. the fact that that game had problems, you know, it it, it it it's not that it doesn't make a difference, but like then you're also that's hindering on like a whole other level of like, well, that game has to yeah. do good. That movie has to be a good movie. Like if no one liked the movie, yeah. no one's gonna care that your song was in the closing credits. So there was a have you ever read um I think it's called uh so you want to be a rock and roll star? It's written by the drummer of Semisonic. Oh no, I haven't read that. It's a it's a really breezy read. It's, it just talks about like it's not like sex, drugs, rock and roll. It's right. just rock and roll. It's just like talking about like him joining Semisonic and then they had their big song and then what happened after. You know? Yeah, it's a really interesting read. 
and he talks in there too about how like they would have to battle like like sometimes they, like they got a song selected for a movie. There was some movie that had like Freddie Prinze Jr. in it or something like okay. that. And it was like some romantic comedy, and it was supposed to be the big movie of the yeah. summer. I think it was called like Summer Catch or something like that. And they and the director wanted to put one of their songs in it, um, and they licensed it for the soundtrack, and they wanted to make a music video. But the problem was the soundtrack was coming out on a different record label, and oh. neither record label wanted to pay. Like so, their record label didn't want to pay for it because it was uh, a MCA yeah. artist, and MCA didn't want to pay for it because it was somebody else's artist. Eventually, somehow it got made. Um, with like a bunch of like you know footage being interspliced in the thing yeah. or whatever, and he was like, oh, "We don't like it. We're not going to play it." And then the movie tanked. And so it's like, so you know, it's it's all these things where you're like, you're just hoping <laughs> against hope that everything lines up, and every possible combination of that fucking twenty five tumbler yeah. lock lines up, and hoping it unlocks. It's brutal, man. And like, yeah, but yeah, with video games. Like, you know, when you had Guitar Hero, the hottest yeah. thing in the world for three or four years, like, that's that band's made careers of like the fall of Troy. Yeah, I was just, who, think, I'm a, I was just I'm thinking a of that. Yeah. Band. Uh, you can you can talk to Thomas. He'll tell you that getting FCP yeah. remix in fall, the Fall of Troy's game was, or in uh, the Guitar Hero game was yeah. massive. That like they would see massive s- single sales on iTunes from that. Yeah, I'm sure they saw an uptick in album sales and ticket sales. Like that makes you for maybe six months, and that really kind of gets you a, a financial boost yeah. and a, uh, a an elevated profile. Where like, oh, we were in Guitar Hero. You put put that sticker on a CD yeah. as heard in Guitar Hero Three or whatever it was. Um, but then like that franchise fell apart so quickly. They lost so much money when they did. Uh, gr- was it Green Day Rock Band? Oh they did three, yeah, they, yeah. They did. They did Beatles Rock yep. Band. I think Metallica and then Green Day. And I remember hearing that Green Day Rock Band lost them like eighty million dollars, some oh, shit like that. Like it was just a colossal yeah. flop, you know? Because like at that point, everyone had made those games. They've been so saturated, and also. Green Day is not Metallica, and Green Day is not the Beatles. Right. You know, and so like Green Day is great, and I love Green Day, yeah. but like they were on the downswing too at that point. So like it just came out and, and didn't line up, and so what should have been a huge boon for both the game and for Green Day ended up costing them millions of dollars. Jesus. So it's just you, you never know, man. You know what? I, there's I, the biggest problem I've I always have with myself is that I'm really good. And identifying why things aren't making money, yeah. like what the problems are, <laughs> but I'm terrible at forecasting the future as to what might make money. Yep. And that's my biggest problem is I can be like, well, clearly this failed because of this, this, and this. Yeah. And I can really de- develop insight on that, but I never have, I never have any clue as to what, you know, oh, vinyl's making a comeback? No, it's not. Not a chance <laughs> in hell. You know, whatever. I, I think that's a, a good metaphor for just going into music. Like you so many different things have to line up for it to work and luck and timing and just a thousand different things. And then also you can like, if, if you're someone who reads AP and you're like, I'm going to follow this band or I did it this and this, I want to follow that same exact path. That doesn't mean shit for you because it took a thousand steps for them to get to that point. So look at at how many bands tried to be follow boy and not just musically, but like in the way they conducted their business and the way they, you know, would try to make it, make it all about the fans and blah, blah, blah. None of those bands made it. You know, it's like, 
There's you know, wh- whether you like them or not. There's only one Fallout Boy. Yeah. Whether you like him or not, there's only one Jimmy World. Like there's there's bands that like there were so many imitators that came up. They're like, oh well, that worked for this, and it just doesn't it doesn't work across the board. There's no formula. And the biggest thing you can do is is develop what you think works for you and just try yeah. it. You know, and uh, and hopefully it works out. And along the way, you'll get a lot of advice from people, and some of it'll be good, some of it won't be good, some of it you won't know isn't good until after you do it. Yeah. That's just the way life is. Uh, you know I, what I'm curious about is I want to see what happens with our generation in 30 years when we should be retiring. Right. And but we've all had this fucking dream since the 90s of being in rock bands <laughs> yeah. and covering and, and and being in rock and roll and all this kind of stuff. And we've all hitched our wagons to this fucking burning up star <laughs> or this bur- this burning out star yeah. really. And who in this group is going to be able – in in this scene of people yeah. is going to be able to retire comfortably. Like not, we're all fucked. Yeah. <laughs> we're, all, we're all fucked. And that's that's what I've like – my wife and I were talking about this this morning. We were like kind of like you know, looking at our money and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. we're doing, you know, about this bill and that bill. And it's like, man, we are all fucked. Like we, we all were taught by our parents to pursue your dreams. Yeah. And because it, it it was during a time of great prosperity, yep. you know the '90s were great for America. Was great for America. Sure. Everyone was making money, and you know you, you had the the baby boomers were in, in their full on careers, pulling in lots of money and blah blah blah. And we're all raised to shoot for the stars and do whatever it is you can do, and yep. you know chase your dreams. And now it's like, no, don't do that. <laughs> like it's you're fucked, you know. And that's how kids are gonna have to be raised now, where it's yep. like think small. Yeah. And I think that's the best advice you can give is think small, and if things work out. Then great. Yep. Then you are you are ready for that yeah. because if you think big and things fail, then you're just going to be depressed and shitty. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's and that's tough. You know, it's Low really expectations, tough. Expectations, kids. Yeah. If you, if you set them low, it's easy to to exceed them. That's true. You know, and, and then you feel and then it's 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 incremental, and that's that's been my career, man. Yeah. Like it's it's aim low. And do the best you can, and then when you exceed those low bars, yeah. then okay, you just scoot up a little bit, just scoot up a little bit, you know. And you know, there's always new things. But when you have like the goal of like, we're gonna make a band, yeah, and we're gonna fucking play Iceland, <laughs> we're gonna sell 12 million records, and I'm gonna snort cocaine off Tiffany Amber Thiessen's tits or whatever. I don't know. It's I, why did I say I don't even know. Sorry, Tiffany. There's a very specific dream happening yeah, here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't, don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> hi, hi, Kelly Kapowski. Good to see you. Um, but yeah, it's like you can't. Anyone who comes into any any career, right? Yeah, with that that in goal in mind, like we're gonna fucking do this. Yeah, bullshit. Yeah, Pro- no one. Show me one band who said we're gonna be the biggest band in the world, <laughs> and you're and you're literally rolling my burrito at Chipotle right now. <laughs> like that's and you have a neck tattoo, a famous Stars and Straps neck yep. tattoo. That's what you have, which is terrible. <laughs> so. Well, that's. I think that's a good. That's a good little like wrap up of uh, follow your dreams, but shoot low. And <laughs> I mean, we tell your kid right there. Turn to your kid and say, oh, I, "Listen, honey, you can do whatever you want as long as it's going to be minimum wage." <laughs> I interviewed um, Ramon. He used to play guitar in the Color Morale recently, and we talked because he has a son, and we were talking about like what what's going to happen the day that he comes in or my daughter comes in and goes, "You know what? I want to pursue that. I want to go. What about school? School good? Have you have you thought about school? I've heard it's, it's good, good things." <laughs> And guess what? Even school doesn't promise you anything. Yeah. It's like, you know, look at you know, I went to college and like, amazingly, I, I am a very I, I lived a very charmed life. Yeah. Whether or not I complain about shit or not. Like I interviewed for one job yeah. and got it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was un, I was unemployed for one month. I was unemployed from May twenty fifth, whenever I graduated, yeah. to roughly June twenty fifth when AP hired me. So it's like I don't have a lot of room 
to relate to people on like the grinding it out kind of thing. Right. I was very lucky and then learned as I went how lucky I was yeah. and learned to be humble about the, the levels of success, which were still small, yeah. that I was still, you know, still uh, hitting, you know. Um, and that's really what it comes down to is like school is a great idea. Yeah. I sometimes wish I would have paid more attention in school. Sure. <laughs> maybe double majored, you know, did something <laughs> that would have like, you know, maybe I would go back to trade school, do something with my hands. I have no idea. You know, it's yeah. like, uh, I feel like, I feel like if this, if this fails, if, if, if I, if I wash out of music, I feel like bodyguarding is where I should there go. Yeah. <laughs> Six and a half feet tall, three hundred pounds, and a beard. You look pretty me, menacing. Yeah, I, honestly, I can, I can, I can mean mug a motherfucker. So, so if you're looking for bodyguarding, uh, yeah. if, get, if get you'll be my bodyguard, I'll be your long lost pal. That's what I'll, I'll stop with that. That's and that's, and that's your business card for when you that's become a bodyguard. Okay. That you if, if, if I'll be your bodyguard, you'll be my long pal. Yeah, that's what I'll do. I think it'll that's tie. It'll tie into if this if this ends up. If uh, it all doesn't work out, then you end up bodyguarding four bands that you wrote shitty reviews about, and then they'll come back like, "Oh, look oh, at this guy!" <laughs> <laughs> oh, Blackville Bryce, you need a bodyguard. Oh, cool. Oh, great. Actually, I, I should I shouldn't say that. Their their singers are very nice guys. Yeah, I'll, I'll say that. So there's plenty of bands that can be like, "Oh, fuck those bands." <laughs> oh, I remember. You know, that's that's a whole other podcast. Oh, that's a, that, that that's uh, that's the record after dark. Yes, yeah. We'll so so so. I'm gonna I'm gonna get I'm gonna grab you for another interview at some point, and we and something that fascinates me in the world of music is uh, or a saying that we learned was G two B two good guys bad band and bands that well, yeah, you love the yeah, people G2B2, in yeah. that but you cannot stand them musically and this push and pull of like oh, yeah. uh, I want I want to tell them that I love them but I have, I'm gritting through my teeth like complimenting them that, and, like, that, and, and and here's the thing if 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 you're in a band and you want to know if you are one of those people. <laughs> If people here's how you know, if people come up to you after your show, if you're friends, yeah. people you think you're your friends come to your, after your show and say, "Hey man, awesome light show tonight." <laughs> That's how you know, <laughs> dude. That light show was sick, or your stage setup was awesome. You know, or like like that. That's when you know, like, oh, you're not a very good band. Yeah, but. But they like you, yeah. and they're there. Giving your attention. Hey, and, you! And I will you were a band up there. You were certainly several yeah, people you, playing you, the same you song. Were plugged in. You were plugged in, <laughs> and you hit the strings. I heard you. I heard that instrument. Yeah. And 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 also too, if they're if they say something like, "Oh, so like, what kind of what kind of amp was that?" Like that's all. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, so you're using like a the uh, the SM57 for your mic? Oh, that's cool. All right, cool. Yeah, all right. Yeah. That means that yeah. they like you as a person, but they don't like your songs. Yeah. So, but that's okay. That's okay. This is, I've had plenty of musicians tell me they hate my writing, and I'm like, that's fine. Yeah, you don't have to like it. I don't have to like your music. That's true. But I, there's more. There's more consequences on the other end because, like, I don't have to like, or you don't have to like me as a person. But that's not going to go so far. But I can write a little, just couple little thing review, <laughs> and if it just so happens to hit the right time, ooh, bummer that's for true. you. <laughs> you wield that's such true, a actually. such power in your hands. So occasionally, occasionally, <laughs> I, I have had, I've had, I have had a song written about me before. I did have a band oh. write a song about me, so that was pretty neat. I feel like they should probably give me some royalties because I mean, they they titled their song a line. They titled their song. It was a line uh, that I wrote in a record review for somebody else yeah. about that band. And so I'm like, well, technically that's my intellectual property. <laughs> so I say you go to court. I'm, I think you got a case here. What about it? I've been watching ma- t- uh, Making a Murder. I think you can pull this together. You can. You know how, to, how a courtroom works now. You can see. You can oh see the cracks. God. Honestly, watching. I, I just finished Making a Murder yeah. last week and watching that show. My biggest regret is, is not going into law school because I fucking love arguing. <laughs> and my my my, uh, my grandfather was a lawyer, and he was really really good. He practiced for sixty odd years. Yeah. Um, 
practicing general law, and he, I really love my grandfather. My my mom and dad always thought I was going to go in the direction of law school. Like they thought that was where I was going to go because I was very opinionated, very good at arguing points. Yeah, and they thought that was where I was going to go. And I was like, nah, I'm going to go into punk rock. That makes a lot more sense. <laughs> so you could be the so, punk rock uh, lawyer. You could be because we had a we had a music lawyer at one point who was an awesome guy. So you could just go. That's the next route for you is just be a lawyer for bands and then just deal with their man. <laughs> I don't want to be like a lawyer for bands. I was like, oh, my contract's not good enough. I need another 10. Fuck you. But fuck that's me. but that's your angle. You're the lawyer goes, shut the fuck. I'm, I'm not doing shut that for you. Sign the deal. You're Get lucky anybody with. cares about you. Your songs are terrible. Here's my 10% commission. Thanks. So if you have anything to promote, your your label, your podcast, you know, run through it. Well, what do sure. you got? Uh, well, uh, to stroke my own ego, you can follow me on Twitter at Scott Heisel. Yep. Uh, I tweet infrequently. Well, some infrequently. Uh, I'm the editor-in-chief of Substream Magazine. SubstreamMagazine.com is where you can go for that website. We also have a print edition, which comes out twice a month. Or, excuse me, every other month. Yeah. Uh, twice a month. Fucking kill me. Uh, every <laughs> other month. Uh, you can subscribe to that. It would be great if you did that. I like having a job. I like to keep it. That'd be cool. Um, I also have another podcast that I do called Best Midwestern. Uh, with my co-host Greg Simpson from punknews.org. Yeah. Uh, you can find out more at facebook.com slash bestmidwestern. We are on iTunes, all that good stuff. Yeah. We focus on Midwestern music. We review nothing but Midwestern bands. It's pretty fun. Awesome. Uh, finally, I have a record label that loses me money. It's called, <laughs> Youth, it's called uh, Youth Conspiracy Records. You can go to youthconspiracyrecords.com. I put out records from Weatherbox, St. Hood Reps, The Felix Culpa, yeah. Hell and Earth Man, Meridian, Personnel, a whole bunch of bands, uh, Foreign Tongues, uh, a lot of cool stuff. And I'll even say this, um, if you enter the code the record, you'll save twenty percent on your next order. <laughs> nice. I'm gonna make a fucking a coupon code for that right now. So we'll, we'll look there. Excellent. So I also have tons of distro stuff in there. So please, please, yeah. please buy my records so they can get out of my house and I can pay my electric bill. <laughs> support really support cool. Scott Heisel and get this shit out of his house. And uh, I would appreciate that. Please, and, please, and maybe I'll maybe I'll even throw up my uh, my Doctor Manhattan hot sauce. There you go. <laughs> Excellent. Is that, is that eBay gold? Does anyone want that? Is that is that an eBay gold thing? <laughs> Hopefully, I, that that warmed my heart. I think on Instagram or Twitter, or something yeah. you you showed a haul and that was in there, and I was like, mm, Scott Eisel, he, he liked us. Yeah, he liked us a little bit at least. All right, good. It was it was a, it was a couple years ago uh, uh, in Columbus. So I was at a store called I think it was Used Kids. Yeah, and I picked up. It was the Doctor Manhattan Dorm Life yeah, Seven. Yep, is that what yep, it was? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I picked that up for like a dollar, and then I think I also bought the CD somewhere in Cleveland a number of years ago nice. for like two, two bucks or whatever it was. So. <laughs> well, that $3, yeah. that's helping go to my uh, daughter's college funds. I appreciate that. I'll pay. Actually, it's probably not. It was, it, they were used, so you don't you actually make anything for that. So well, buying used records doesn't help anybody, but that's fine. <laughs> that's true. But I did buy uh, Felix Culpa's last record that you put out on vinyl, so a little, a little something came back your way. So I'm glad to support Youth Conspiracy. And uh, and your po- and your podcast, which which should all the record to save twenty percent, <laughs> which should all <laughs> which should all be subtitled a different kind of greatness. Scott Heisel, a different kind of greatness, <laughs> <laughs> a different a different kind of person, <laughs> I mean, a different kind of person. Excellent. You know. Well, thank you, man. Uh, but, thank you well, so well, much. I didn't, I didn't get oh. your take. Is Steve is Stephen Avery guilty or not? Uh, you're starting to sway me. I my heart feels that he's innocent. That it's just. I, and and you but you making the point of you know them saying like we're not going to plan on an innocent guy like. My take was he's done bad shit, so they don't my our opinion, my wife and I watch him like I think he's just they don't like him, they don't like the yeah. family, and they he made them look bad and wanted to sue him, so they're really gonna throw like i I wonder if he wouldn't have tried to sue the county if any of this other stuff would have happened, or if they would have just been like, no, we're getting him, like we just want to get him at all yeah i, I uh, you know it's it's I don't know man, and I'm, the only other thing that that makes me question or makes me think he is innocent is yeah. that he's putting so much effort into continually fighting his innocence right fighting for his innocence right 
that you would think at some point right. if you were guilty, you'd be like, ah, fuck, fuck it. it. Exactly. Because you know I mean? you're already in prison forever. It's like, just, just, oh, just be like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But he's never done that. And so, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know. But Brendan Dassey, again, yeah. Hard goes under Brendan Dassey. Yeah. So. I, we even said, like, I, I was like, even, even if I was in a position, I was innocent. At some point, I would have probably pleaded or just been like, fuck yeah. it. Like, I don't even want to deal with this anymore. Like, I would have had such exactly. a, a less line for that all that crap that he had to go through i was given up yeah. t- so long ago exactly so now we know that if you want to if you want to pin a murder on somebody <laughs> pin it on nick because he's gonna be like yeah fuck i'll it. take it Whatever. i'm take the heat we'll just, i'm very that's impressionable fine. you know what you know maybe you're right maybe i don't know where i was it's that a, night it's not a it's not a bad life you don't have to pay bills anymore <laughs> like some, you're, some that's true the, the three hots and a cut your meat yeah exactly man you gotta work out you can go you can go back to school <laughs> That you can study for your fucking college degree it happens all the time. Like it's not that bad, except for the rape. Except yeah, well, for the rape, it's not that bad. Life's all about give and take, and sometimes you gotta take it. Sometimes you yeah. gotta take. It. <laughs> Holy shit! I think now we have to have the podcast before we get Good. flagged by. Perfect. Explicit. Thank you so right. much for the hour and well, damn near forty minutes, man. I appreciate it. Appreciate your time, Absolutely. and I would love to do this again sometime. For sure. Yeah, I'll get in touch. So thank you, and everyone support Scott. His podcast, everything he's doing, he's got good shit going on. Yeah. All right. Thanks, buddy. Have a good Sunday. Really, really. Yeah, thank you. you too. All right, man.